On this episode, we wade out there with Betha Cochran from Granby, Colorado. Betha is a fly fishing guide with a passion for teaching children. We discuss expectation management, self-esteem, the Colorado River, and perseverance in getting your flies down to a big trout. Welcome to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Shemchuk. At Wade Out There, we believe fly fishing is special, but not elite, and that anyone can become a great fly fisher if they are willing to go, learn, and teach. Join me as I talk with other fly fishermen and women about their unique journeys into fly fishing, the rivers they fish, and the tactics and philosophies they practice. For those who can never leave the river in their hearts, this podcast is dedicated to helping you make the memories that keep us all coming back to wait out there. Welcome, Betha. Thanks for being on the Wait Out There podcast. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Jason. Before we get started, I wanted to say that in many ways, you became my hero in the last week. <laughs> and the reason is I saw... You've set the standard in my brain for like date night. Like you have, I saw a picture of you with your husband out on the river fly fishing and you said, yeah, this is my date night. And I was like, man, I need to step it up. I need to get, I need to get on this. Yeah. We've done a lot of dates on the river, like bring our hammocks out and I just brought Skittles the other night and let him fish because I fished that day and I just wanted to see him catch some fish and it was awesome. And the sunset was beautiful. Got some great videos of him fishing. So it's a family affair for you. Yeah. I'm sure our little one will be fishing and skiing and all the outdoorsy things in no time. So, yeah, you've got a congratulations by the way you've got a little one on the way thanks so excited so i know that's awesome i have the same hopes and dreams for our little family that's growing as well but uh yeah i think that's pretty cool you're definitely starting them young you're bringing new meaning to the word starting them young when you're out there pregnant going fly fishing i think that's awesome i know yesterday uh was my birthday trip and I caught a bunch of fish on streamers, like huge fish, and my belly was out, and <laughs> Philip was tell- telling me, he's like, I'm going to show Bella these videos and tell her that her mom is so cool, and you were in her belly when she was catching all these fish. <laughs> well, he's correct. His mom, Her mom is cool. Um, it slowed me it's down a, girl- a little bit, but I love it. Yeah. You do have a girl on the way, is that right? Yep, a little girl. Yeah, mine's a girl as well. So um, I think it's, I mean, the other thing that's great, another reason why you're my hero is that you're just setting a great example for little girls coming up and and, uh, they see people and want to go fly fishing. And uh, I think that's really cool too. Happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I didn't know it was your birthday. And you're going out on your birthday. I think it's safe to say fly fishing is ingrained into your social construct. Yeah, it's kind of the only thing I like to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you get to do it with your family, so that's good too. Uh, yeah. Can you t- go ahead? That's why we moved up here. I used to live closer to Denver and had to drive 
couple hours to get to the river. And yeah. when I found out I was pregnant, we wanted to move up to the mountains and raise our family in a small mountain town and be closer to all the outdoor activities because there's a lot more to do. And I think it's a way better childhood. I grew up in the mountain town, so I want my kids to experience that. Good for you. That's outstanding. I was going to ask you, can you talk a little bit about your background growing up and how the outdoors, but specifically fly fishing entered because you were in Durango and then you say you moved all around Colorado, right? And then ended up in Denver and now you're up in Granby or? Yeah, uh, Granby. So can you, can you walk us through a little bit of that? Cause I think it's super uh, exciting kind of journey that you've taken. Yeah. So I was born in Denver and there was a lot of crime around where my parents lived. So they decided to move us to Durango and that's a very like Western touristy town with river next to all of my schools. The Animus river ran right next to my elementary, middle and high school. I never really fly fished when I was younger. I took a class in third grade on how to tie flies and how to cast. So I knew really that part. Yeah. It's in the curric- it's in the curriculum down there. That's pretty pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they had like all these outdoor activities that you could uh, sign up for and my mom told me to choose two and I chose fly fishing and like a craft class. And my brother chose something completely different. He is not as outdoorsy, but we definitely grew up My dad is very redneck, so we grew up dirt biking, camping, fishing with worms and bait, power bait. Right. So redneck or all-star, either one of those terms would be applicable. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah, I grew up doing – I didn't grow up fly fishing per se. But, I mean, it it taught me a lot about the river. You know, we would throw grasshoppers, live grasshoppers or – you know, I threw uh, night crawlers and stuff when I was a kid. Um, but yeah. So, so now you're down in Durango and then what you, then after high school, I wanted to get out of there because I was the awkward kid all through school. I was six foot by sixth grade and had glasses and braces. So I wanted to move away from all the kids that used to tease me and make me feel bad about myself as a child. So I moved up to Denver again for college and kind of quit all of my outdoor activities and got really depressed and just focused on school for quite a while. And then I met my boyfriend in 2016. He lived in Boulder and I lived in South Denver And we would just travel to see each other. And he told me, if you want to hang out, uh, you need to start fly fishing with me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so he got you going. Yeah, he started me with all of that. Uh, Our first couple dates were like camping. And we started spin fishing a little bit together. And I was like, this is boring. This just reminds me of my childhood. I'm not really into it. And then he started teaching me to fly fish. 
And the first time he taught me to fly fish, he didn't tell me that you had to set the hook when your flies yeah. go under. And I just kind of stood there with the rod in my hand, and he was, like, screaming at me, set, set. And I just started crying because I was like, what do I do? What did I yeah. do wrong? And he was like, you're supposed to set the hook. And I was like, oh, I didn't man. know that. You have to teach me a lot more about this to understand. And then so this- a week later, I caught my first fish. And I was like, okay, I love this. Let's yeah. go every weekend now. I want to learn more. That's awesome. Two things. One, that's the third story I've heard that the boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, one is trying to teach the other how to fly fish and the scenario ends up in tears. So the, <laughs> I also, I'm going to try to get my wife uh, into fly fishing more. She loves outdoors and fishing and stuff like that as well. But uh, the, some good advice I got from Amanda Jensen uh, out in Montana is I was like, do you have any advice for, you know, teaching my wife more about fly fishing? And she said, yes, you don't teach her. <laughs> yeah. So you're just solidifying that in my brain. You're cementing it as like, a, it's not going to happen. She's going to get, go out with a guide and, and, uh, and then the second thing is, um, so did you, you, you went in, in college, did you go fly fishing in college and then you studied teaching, right? So yeah. Did you, did you think that that went good hand in hand or like, cause now I know you're guiding and we could talk about that more later, but was that, did you start to see connections there? I love working with kids. I have my whole life. I used to babysit all the time. I tried to avoid going into school for teaching because I knew that they didn't make that much money, but In college, I kind of realized that's my passion, so I went for elementary ed and got my degree in elementary ed and then got into fly fishing kind of towards the end of my college career, and honestly, I never thought I would guide. Even up until this year, I was like, I'm probably not going to guide. I don't know if it's for me. Maybe I'll teach kids how to fish or something but i don't know if i want a guide and then this year kirk asked me he was like we really need people do you want a guide and i was like i guess so sure (laughs) i guess have me do it next week let's start and i love it and they always put me on the kid trips which is perfect because that's perfect yeah i'd prefer to teach kids over adults any day yeah they're easier to mold. That's right. And it's more, there's less expectations too, you know, like I think that's one of the great things about when I take Tommy, my son, uh, fly fishing, he's five, he's little. So, you know, just catching a, a little, a little trout, you know, for a little person, that's a bigger fish, like relatively. So I feel like it's more exciting. Like he catches like a six inch rainbow that's for me, that's like a 14 inch rainbow in his world, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I think that's cool. And then it seems like it's easier to catch little fish sometimes. And so like, I think it's, it's cool to target those kind of fish and like, just let them just catch a bunch of little guys. And it's just exciting for them. Um, yeah. They love that. I love guiding up in Rocky mountain national park because you can catch 
so many brookies during the day and the kids love that. But I've also had kids where they don't really enjoy the fishing aspect. They're more stoked that they pick up a rock and find a bug. And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, I found these bugs today. (laughs) I'm like, that's what I, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'm in nature and, uh, part of what I like about fishing too is being on the river. You know, I've always enjoyed fishing rivers and stuff more than, more than lakes for sure. And I like being in a drift boat too, but I, if I could choose, I'd be wading up and down a river, you know, about the size of the Colorado, uh, yeah. because it's just adventurous. And I think kids get that too, you know? Yeah. I definitely prefer rivers and streams over lakes. I like to move around. I get bored pretty easily. Yeah. And now that I know how to fish, if I'm not catching something in the first like 30 minutes, I want to move because right. I don't feel like I'm going to catch anything there. And in the river, there's so many places you can go and just learn how to catch fish in different areas. And that's yeah. what I love. I learn something new every time I'm out there. Uh, yeah, I love, yeah. So many people do like that about fly fishing is the learning and problem solving and moving. So I definitely have that in common with you, I think. And, uh, I do like teaching my son when I can, what I can. I try and just let him like, he doesn't want any help, you know, he just wants to throw the, so I, I really don't get involved too much unless he's like, Hey, can you show me this? Or can you do me this? Or Cause I don't want to ruin it for him. I don't want him to be like, every time I go fly fishing, pops tell me, do this, do that, do this. There's too many rules. I don't like it. I'm done. Selfishly. I don't want that to happen. So I, I just like let him be kind of. That's good. I've been telling Philip, he, he's going to need to do that with our little one. Because if you enforce like your rules too much with children, they're going to absolutely hate it. They're going to feel like it's something they have to do versus something they want to do. Yeah. And if they don't want to go out, don't force them to go out with you all the time. Like let them do their thing and maybe try to do activities that they like to do sometimes. And he's like, well, I just want them to get good. Well, (laughs) yeah. I do too, yeah. but double double edged sword. Yeah. Working with kids, I understand a lot of that stuff more than he does. I think he's in for a shock being a dad. Yeah. That'll be interesting. <laughs> but at least I'm here to kinda help. Yeah. <laughs> I think um yeah, the other thing I noticed when I go with my son is, you know, attention spans. You just have to have as an adult uh, expectation of you, this isn't like I'm going fly fishing with, and then I'm going to bring this child and they're, we're going to have this awesome day together all day. You know, um, they just, it doesn't, I guess it's just attention span. I could be on the river, you know, sun up to sundown and just be hanging out all day, but it just doesn't work that way with my son. And, I think as long as I'm cool and I understand it, like we take breaks and do other things and it's just the experience. I just want him to have the experience of being on the river and, you know, we can bring lunch and hang out and just play, you know, like if you go to the river and you're happy to go to the river, then you're happy to, you know, eventually 
those other things will kind of fall into place, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think the worst thing for adults is expectations. Expectations ruin fly fishing experience oh. for people. Okay. This is great. I wasn't even going to go down this road in this interview or uh, talking to you, but this is gold because it's so true. And like when you said that, you're you're coming at it from like, I don't know exactly, but on a personal level, that totally resonates because it's just so true. I go out to the river and I want to catch a fish and it starts to become I'm not catching a fish. And now I start to be like, am I doing what am I doing wrong? And, you know, and it might just be, you know just not great fishing that day or who cares? Like maybe I'm just not have a great presentation for these fish based in this river, but you get this expectation that you need to catch fish. And it's even worse when you don't go that much. Like for me, a lot of time in the 20 years I've been fishing, fly fishing, you know, I I don't get to go as often. I don't live, you know, I think that's another reason why I think what you're doing is so awesome that you you know what? I'm just going to move to the Colorado river done. Check that box. Uh, so someday I hope to do that as well. But, um, when you travel, whether you drive three hours or you go on a airplane to Colorado or Montana or Wyoming or something like that from wherever it is in the country, you want to catch some fish, you know, and you have this expectation that like, I might, if I don't catch fish, this is a, a waste of time, you know? Yeah, I have clients all the time that go into trips like with all these high expectations like I want to catch a 24-inch trout and I've never fished in my life. And I'm like, right. that is probably not going to happen. Like we can try yeah. and those things could happen, but you can't go into fly fishing with expectations because you're going to ruin the experience for yourself. And even my boyfriend and I struggle fishing together because sometimes he's like, well, I'm a guide. I better catch a big fish today. And I'm like, you can't go into the day with that expectation because guess what? You're not going to catch a big fish if you have that expectation. And, and if you don't, like you said, it would it could ruin it because you didn't. Now you're like, ah, it's a bummer because I'm not. I'm not at the place where I think I need to be based on expectations and stuff. And now you're beating yourself up or whatever. Yep. Or it ruins your attitude and then you're just pissed off and mad the whole day. And I seriously <laughs> think that fish can feel when you are pissed off. Like they are not going to eat your stuff <laughs> when you have a bad attitude. You better Pos- fix that attitude and maybe you'll catch some fish. <laughs> positive mental attitude yes and i also i would like to agree with you and believe that they can they can sense through the water up to my brain the brain signals or whatever it'd be like no sorry man maybe if you had a better attitude i would take that nymph but mm -mm, not today Uh -uh. (laughs) it's probably something more like they can feel your footsteps and how you're like stomping around and screaming at the top of your lungs but i feel like it's attitude they can just feel it they yeah. feel the negativity in the air. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I think it's harder for some people than others. And to your point, children, they just don't have that because they just, they don't have all that baggage. They don't have these like egos. They don't have all those things. 
So, but then I also think it's personality driven as well. Like I try very hard to suppress like ego and comp- competition and things like that that are deeply kind of ingrained in my in my soul from like my time in the air force like i when i'm on the river like i'm having a great time i'm catching fish or not catching fish or whatever but like the other day i was out <clears throat> on the river in washington on the nachis river and i mean it was a great day of fishing i, I was catching tons of fish but they're all like these just you know six to nine inch maybe one or two like 12 inch trout but it was like a great day fishing and i started to catch myself throughout the day like towards the end of the day being like starting to get a little aggravated here that i'm not gonna catch like i'm not catching a big fish and like had to put the brakes to be like whoa jason chill out man like look around look where you're at you're catching fish like take a take a chill pill dude like things are good but I've never, I don't stomp around and stuff like that, but it's hard to fight that urge. Like I really want to catch a bigger fish or whatever. At least you're aware of it. I think a lot of people aren't even aware of when they, like their attitude starts to change and yeah, they just ruin a, an entire day for themselves. And then they go back and they're like, Oh, but I really did enjoy it out there. And I'm like, yeah, you made everybody's day horrible. Yeah, that's not good. So mad. Yeah, that's yeah. not good. And yeah, I think kids is great. And I think it's a good reminder too, especially if you can go into that scenario with, with your child or a young person, like you're talking about as a guide with young people and say, okay, I'm not, I don't have an, when I go with my son, I have no expectations of catching fish. Uh, I only want him, like if his feet get wet in the river, that's a W. And from there, I know he's going to have fun, like kind of playing in the dirt or throwing rocks or whatever, you know, and I just have to watch him throw rocks into the fishing hole and be like, all right, no, there's not going to be son if you okay that's fine whatever just go ahead <laughs> you're spooking him up okay yeah have a good time yeah um and then letting them letting them go do you find like when you when you're when you've got young people out there what what tools do you use to help them uh you know are you just because you you do want to help them but you don't want to do too much. Is there things that you do or that you apply from your teaching background with like going with young people? Now I'm selfishly asking you, how do I do a better job of, <laughs> of yeah. guiding quote, quote marks, guiding my son or whatever. I think expectation had, is a great thing. Yeah. I've had some kids that I can tell right away. They're like not into it and they're just doing it for their dad or whoever's bringing them. And I'll just kind of take them away from the situation. And then I'll start asking them things that they like to do. Like, what do you like to do the most? Like, what's your favorite thing in Minecraft? Or I don't know, whatever they like to do. And just start talking and seeing what their passions are about. But I'm still teaching them about fishing in between. Like, I'll take a couple minutes to talk about what they want to do and then transition it back to fishing and then go back to what they want to talk about. Try to make it just a good experience for them overall. Right. And And that's probably, sorry, go ahead. I just try to be really patient with them. Like keep a positive 
mental attitude with them and keep my voice really encouraging. And I'm like, oh, you missed that one. That's okay. We're going to get another one. You're going to miss a million hits. I miss a million hits. It's fine. Yeah. Like I tell them my mistakes all the time to make them feel better because people are always like, well, you're so good. No, (laughs) we all have bad days. We all miss huge fish. I lose big fish all the time. I know. That's, I was going to say when you were talking about new people coming in, wanting to catch big fish, like first you got to catch that fish, then you got to land it. Those are two different things, you know? And the, my experience, the hardest part about catching big fish and for me and my time has just been getting the reps, you know, especially if you're not on the river as often, you know, you've got to learn, like it comes with experience and, you know, it's just, you, you can't just be like, I mean, you can get coached a little, you know, and stuff, but having the reps is important, I think. But what's something you, go ahead, sorry. Uh, when I lived in Denver, it was the same thing. Like I had to drive two hours to fish all the time. And there were so many, almost for a year, we'd get skunked more often than not. We'd go oh, home yeah. without fish at all. <clears throat> when I started, I was in Colorado too, in Colorado Springs. So I grew up, I mean, I had, I had learned about rivers and where fish are in the river when I was a younger kid, like in elementary school with spinning rigs and grasshoppers and night crawlers and stuff. And that was out in Montana and stuff. And, you know, that was, I think back before fly fishing was as popular. So I just didn't really know much about it. We're talking like the nineties and stuff, which anyway, but, um, I forget what I was going with that. Uh, yeah. So Colorado Springs is when I got really into fly fishing and that was the the South Platte River. Yeah, sub, sub, yeah. Subsequently, I've I've kind of found out that was hard one to learn on. I guess <laughs> you know, but man, yeah, there was tons, and I would go with people that were much you know better with me, better than me, and watch them catch fish and me not catch fish, and you know. Yeah, I learned oh well. at Deckers, and Deckers is really hard fishing. And I bring friends with yeah. me all the time, and they'll hook into fish, and they'll lose all of them, or they just won't yeah. hook into a fish all day. And I've caught like seven or eight, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I know where you're coming from because I didn't catch a fish here like ten times in a row when I first started coming. So I understand yeah. the frustration, but also don't make it a bad experience for yourself because you'll come back and you'll eventually catch them if you keep persisting and like work past those hard times on the road. Yes. Perseverance. I want to get into perseverance before we change topics though. I just want to say one thing that you said that was really wise is maybe they just don't, maybe they just don't like fly fishing, you know? Like you can't, you know, you can't force things like that. Just like maybe they don't like soccer, you know, like maybe sports isn't their thing, you know, but if you can introduce it to them in a way that's not um, a burden, you know, like where you're not like making the experience. No, we can't leave because we just got here type of thing. Like, you know, maybe down the road, they like to stay longer. So I just think you got to be ready for that ready for that too you might not get a w you might it might just be like 
mm, I'd rather play with, you know, Transformers or then, yeah. you know, like, or, or go build a sand castle instead of actually doing something on the water. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I think that's really, um, important as well and, and important to remember expectation for the, the adult as well that's involved. So, um, I was going to ask you a little bit more about Granby and the Colorado river, but you brought up perseverance. So let's talk about that. This is fresh in our brain. My introduction to you was through social media and I, you know, you're posting pictures, beautiful fish in the Colorado. But when I started to read some of the stuff you're posting about self-esteem, it really, it really grabbed me um, because something that I hadn't thought about and I really value all the special things that fly fishing brings to different people and especially myself. And I try and apply, you know, perseverance and hard work and things like that to fly fishing. But I haven't, I hadn't thought about self-esteem and I guess maybe hadn't been an issue for me, but you know, I just, I can see that being so valuable to so many people. So can you talk a little bit about how fly fishing, um, you know, where you're coming from when you say things like that about how, how it's important for self-esteem or, uh, cause it's so, I mean, it, it seems like it should be so obvious and I just mentally, I'm, why didn't I think of that? You know? Yeah. I'm sure some people just really struggle with it. And for me, that's always been one of the biggest things that I struggle with is self-esteem. Like I put myself down all the time. I always tell myself I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or things like that. And I've had people tell me that I also was very awkward when I was younger. So I had my looks put down all the time. I got called Bigfoot and Sasquatch and that definitely affected my self-esteem. So I never felt like I was good enough at anything to like become professional or honestly be called like a badass. Like people have never called me a badass in my life until I started fly fishing and started catching really big fish. And in the beginning, I was not a badass. I was the most awkward person on the river. Um, I was like wearing hand-me-down waders and didn't care what I looked like or how I fished, but I just kept going and I really just enjoyed being out there, even if I didn't catch anything. Because as a teacher, I just constantly want to learn. And fly fishing was something after that first fish, that adrenaline just got me hooked. And I wanted to keep coming back for more and more and more. And I just wanted to learn everything I possibly could about it. Right. And that really helped my self-esteem, just learning and getting better and better at something. And I think doing that and also teaching and building my confidence around people and teaching other children, that kind of built my self-esteem. But fishing was like the underlying thing that 
kind of helped me in school and all around. Yeah. I mean, did you get to this place on your own? I mean, were you reading books and stuff? I mean, I just I think it's very profound. And uh, I agree with you, um, especially with the, the concept of, I think I personally, I just think that there is a tremendous amount of joy that you can, um, that you can experience in life by doing something hard over a long period of time and progressing at it. So whatever level you're at along that journey, um, sort of irrelevant, as long as you're progressing and you know that you can't fake it. You know, the, the trout don't care. They don't care how tall you are. They don't care what you look like, what color you are, like any of that stuff. Like you either know how to do this or you don't. And the only way to really learn is to practice, you know, and that could be, you know, archery or it could be, you know, hockey or art, you know, painting and drawing or things like that or fly fishing. And fly fishing, I think, works a lot, too, because people like being in nature and there's a soothing aspect of it and meditative qualities and things like that. All that is kind of tied into it. But like you're saying, over time, you just can't fake that. And I think that that has a lot to do with the self-esteem, you know, because I did it. And you can't take it away. Like I figured it out. I got to this place. I took the time. I made the drive. I made the two hour drive for two years and came up here and got skunked and keep coming back and keep coming back. And it's just something that I experienced as well in my previous kind of profession. And I recognize that in fly fishing as well. So I think that's super cool. I'm going to read something that you said. I don't know if you got this from a book or what, but you said without delayed gratification, there is no patience or perseverance. When it comes to the secrets of fly fishing, it's all about perseverance. And that's just, like I said, it's so profound. It's true. You have to keep going after it. I mean, you can you can go with a guide and learn and they can teach you things, but eventually you have to you have to play the games. You have to fly the missions. You have to do the things like whatever it is that you're doing, you have to go do it by yourself. Yeah. I got the first quote from just I think just from someone else's post and then I kind of put it with fly fishing and I was like, that is very true. You, you have to persevere to get good at fly fishing. And a lot of people have such an attitude when they're not catching fish on any trip and they really need to get over that because you're just going to make it a bad experience for other people. And you're going to make it harder for yourself to want to get up and go and do it again. So you oh, yeah. realize you're going to suck in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So I've got, uh, I think there's a difference between t- it takes time to get good versus it takes time to enjoy it, which is what you're saying. I think like you can not have gone that often and not have that much experience and still enjoy fly fishing a lot you know, but it's going to take, I mean, it takes a while to get to the place where you're like catching fish, you know, I mean, you might get lucky or you might just be awesome. But for me and most people I talk to, it takes a little time to, to get to that spot and you got to get through, like I wrote a blog post about this in the beginning, there has to be something else. There's got to be another reason because if the only reason you're going fly fishing is to catch giant fish, 
you're better off like going to a place where you can throw a rooster tail or, you know, a night crawler. Yeah. You know, it's easier in many places to do that. You know, if it's just about catching a big fish, but it's a different thing with fly fishing, I think. Yeah. And for me, it was mainly about like the therapeutic, just like how therapeutic it is to be on the river. And I went through a lot of medical issues in pretty much right when I started. I started having unexplained pain. I went to the hospital multiple times and they told me, nope, you're fine. Everything's totally fine. You just need to suck it up. And suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. yeah, that's not cool. You don't want your doctor to be telling you, they're like, no. just get tougher. I just kept going to different doctors and they were all telling me the same thing. I was like, man, what is wrong with me? Like, is this all in my head? But that's why I just kept fly fishing because that was the only thing that I could go out and do. And it would get my mind off the pain because there's so much to think about when you're fly fishing. You can't really focus on pain when you're out there and you're like, well, I need the perfect drift. Or I need to be focusing on this hole. Where do I want to hit it in this hole? Where do I think the fish are sitting? Oh, I need to move. Your mind is just constantly going and you don't have time to think about like, oh, my abdomen is on fire right now and I just want to die. Like it's horrible. And when I would lay at home, that's all I could think about was the pain. Even watching TV, you're just sitting there like, ow everything hurts. This is miserable. So I just get out on the river. It didn't matter if I was catching fish or not. It just got my mind off the pain. And I know I probably wasn't the most fun person to be around, but that's also why I love fishing because you don't really have to like put on a show for other people. Right. You can just be out there and do your own thing. And it's not like other sports where you're trying to get good and people are watching you constantly and critiquing how you're doing with fly fishing. You can go at your own pace. You can yeah. learn as you go and take your time. Who cares how long it takes you to get a fish? That's right. Yeah. There's, there's a built in kind of solo aspect to it. You know, like some people like to fish with other people and it, to me, it just depends on who's with me and, what day or what's going on, but you, it's not super hard to just walk a little bit further upstream and now you're by yourself depending on crowds and stuff. But even if you're by a stranger, like it's not the same as going with somebody, your friend that you went fly fishing with. You can, if you're away from them, I feel like I'm alone kind of, you know what I mean? Is everything cool or I don't know when I don't want to pry too much, but you feeling better or is that still something that you deal with? Yeah. It's, So I went through that for like four years. Um, I just kept persevering through that too because I had doctors telling me that there was nothing wrong with me or it was all in my head and or I had to just live with chronic pain the rest of my life and I just did not, I wasn't going to agree with them. I wasn't going to let them tell me that this is how I needed to live my life. So I kept searching for answers and I found a specialist who 
cleared all of my endometriosis out, which was the problem. And I kind of learned that that was my issue from social media. Social media is such a powerful thing. Like I just connected with other women that were going through the same thing that I was going through and learned that I could have endometriosis, which is an overgrowth, the lining inside your uterus, and it grows outside your uterus on all of your other organs. Oh, And it causes scar tissue and causes your organs to kind of like form together. And it was, it was creating cysts full of blood that were exploding in my abdomen and just letting blood sit and cool in my abdomen. And I couldn't see it on any of my scans. So I went to a doctor and I cried in the waiting room for like 30 minutes until they took me back and actually took me seriously and asked me what they could do to help me. And I said, I want an exploratory surgery. And they gave me all of these reasons why I shouldn't do it, why it probably wasn't the best thing for me because I've never had surgery. And I said, I don't care. Just cut me open and figure out what's wrong. So they finally did. And they told me that I had endometriosis, which helped so much because I was like, wow, I'm not crazy. It's not in my head. They were all wrong. They kept telling me the wrong things. And then after that, I just searched for someone that actually knew what they were doing. And they told me that I would possibly never be able to have kids because my aunt and my cousin were never able to have kids because of endometriosis. Um, So I was really worried about that. And I had my last surgery in November of 2019. So not even a year ago. (laughs) And I got pregnant six months later. Congratulations. That's awesome. It was so exciting. I'm so glad I get to experience that. And now that I'm pregnant and I found the care that I needed, I don't have to deal with that anymore. And I don't have to live my life in chronic pain anymore. Yeah. So, well, that's an inspiring story. And I'm really happy that you shared it, Betha, because it's a little personal. But I think that maybe somebody listens, hears that, and uh, helps them out, you know, you know, whatever their doctor says or whatever they're, whatever they do. But, um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of women have these issues and they have people telling them that they're crazy or they just, it's a normal thing that women have to deal with pelvic pain. It's not normal. If you're, if it's interfering with your everyday life, you need to like keep looking. Yeah. Insist that you get the care that you need. Whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. I think that's, Good advice. And like you said, it kind of applies. I'll ask you a little bit more about that later, but it applies to, it goes back and forth, fly fishing to your personal life and then back to fly fishing as well. It's teaching you to kind of keep going, keep pursuing. Yeah. Um, And from that, I got linked. I kind of checked out other programs that use fly fishing as a therapy, like healing waters for disabled veterans and uh, passing yeah. for recovery for women with breast cancer. 
And then there's the Mayfly Project for kids in the foster care system. It's so beneficial for people. Yeah. Um, Which is why I think that it's important to not uh, be elitist in the way that fly fishing is projected to other people personally. I just think that because it helps so many people in so many ways, I mean, your story or the organizations that you just mentioned, you know, why, why wouldn't it be good to allow people to have exposure to this um, sport or this pastime or hobby or whatever it is, or it turns into a profession for somebody like you, you know, um, it just seems, you know, it, yeah, I, 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 I'm not of the mind that we need to keep it a secret, I guess, because it, it helps a lot of people. Yeah, there shouldn't be as much competition and ego around fly fishing as there is. I think we're going to yeah. battle that for a long time. And women are definitely battling that, getting into fly fishing, because there's a lot of pressure to, I guess, you can't look pretty or (laughs) can't put on makeup to go fly fishing, which I think is ridiculous. If that's who you are as a person, why can't you do that and get out on the river? If that's what makes you happy and getting out on the water makes you happy, do what makes you happy. Who cares? Like what or what you like to do. I agree. Life is short and you're dead for a very long time. So you might as well be happy while you're here. Yeah. So, um, well, thank you for sharing that. I want to change topics if that's okay. Yeah. Sounds good. I don't want, I don't want to discredit what you're talking about. Cause this is, that's some heavy, good stuff, but I did want to ask you a little bit about your home waters, the Colorado river and the fishing that you do and you guide up there as well. Right. Yeah. I guide in grand Lake, Colorado for Kirk's Fly Shop. We guide on the Colorado River um, up near Kremling and through Partial. And then we also guide in Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. But you're not, um, so you're not, but you do you live in Granby? Yeah, I live in Granby. So that's like 20 minutes away from Grand Lake. Yeah, okay. Um, how far, so the towns that you mentioned, those are kind of the parts of the Colorado that you're fishing that's out West. So the river flows out of the mount, out of the park kind of, or out of the Lake grand Lake. And then it goes West. Is that true? And then, yep. so how far West out are you going? I don't, I'm not an expert. You're the expert. I'm just trying to, where, where is that river kind of going? Um, so Kirk's fly shop also guides on the east side of the Continental Divide on Rocky Mountain National Park on that side. But we just guide on the west side of the divide. So right from the top of the Continental Divide all the way going down, all of those little creeks and lakes kind of feed into Grand Lake, and then that feeds out into the Colorado River. And that goes all the way through partial hot sulfur springs, Kremlin. And we pretty much stopped guiding on the Colorado river near Kremlin. We do a lot of float trips out there. 
I don't do float trips, but I do wade trips with people. Okay. Um, there's like a canyon that you can fish out there. But that would be really sorry. That would be really badass if you were out there, pregnant, rowing on the sticks, yeah. rowing down the river. I'm really impressed. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a goal for the future. We want to get a boat and be able to do float trips. Yeah. Because you can do overnight okay. float trips too and just park the boat, go camp on the side of the river, get up, okay, cool. get back on the boat, keep fishing, and you can wade. You can pull over and wade if you want. You can float from the fish from the boat, whatever you want to do. Do you have to be careful about private land? I know Colorado has some laws that are a little bit different about water access than some states. Yeah, we have a lot of areas that you can't fish because of private land, but that stretch that you can float, you don't really have to. It's all BLM land. So So it's a little more, it's obvious kind of that I'm on a floating play I'm, I'm drifting through here this is where you can drift and because of that i can do what you just talked about yeah and they have designated kind of camping areas <clears throat> some have signs others you can just tell people have camped there and there's trails leading to them that you can if nobody's there you can just pull over and take it over but a lot yeah. of places in colorado are getting harder to camp at. Like you have to reserve pretty far in advance to be able to camp. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our water, Uh, we have a couple private sections so that we are able to provide a better experience because battling with the crowds and battling with other guide services can be a lot to handle. Yeah. Well, and Denver's growing you know gangbusters so it's it's there's a lot of people out there um so yeah. just try and everybody be neighborly. out here too is into outdoor activities so you're like yeah. okay yeah the mountains now have a lot of traffic even thursdays right. you'll sit in traffic right. for two hours just to get up into the mountains right yeah and i mean i understand the other side of it too like hey you know i don't want the crowds to ruin my experience, you know, but I'm just of the mindset that I would rather be inclusive and like try and teach people the way to be respectful on the river, you know, and give people space and like some of those things. I'd rather have the people that come out to the river be more um, that way than, and maybe that would be a better way because I can't stop people from moving to Colorado, you know? And And so I'd rather have people with good at yeah. We can always share the water with other people. And it's right. about being respectful of other people on the water and right. like not holding down a spot all day. Like if you've been there for a while and you've caught fish, move on. Let somebody else have it, especially if you see that they're coming up and wanting to fish there or they've checked right. up on you a couple times to see if you're still there. Maybe you should just either welcome them in and be like, yeah, come fish with me or be like, here, come take my spot. We'll move on. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be more and more important for people to kind of get to that place. I mean, I just, I don't think, yeah, it's, you just can't fight like the, the number of human beings that are 
around. There's only so much river, you know? So, um, I'd have heard that in, in Granby, they have like reserve sections, like in, if you want to fish the Colorado in town or by town, is that, have you heard of this or is there like, you need to like get a section of river that you can reserve to fish or something like that? No, I haven't really heard about that. There's quite a few public, um, spots. Okay. Okay. Um, so is it waiting? I know you said you can float the Colorado, but there's, there's plenty of public access where you can, um, wade as well. Right. Is it closer to the, closer to the dam? So it's a tailwater too. Is that true? No, the Colorado is a freestone river. So it all comes from snow melts, but there are rivers in between where there are like some tailwater sections that like, um, so there's not a dam. I thought there was a dam up that way, but that's not the main source. No. Okay. No. And not where, where we guide, there's no dams anywhere near. It's mainly just snow melt coming from canyons and coming up from the park. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> What kind of, if I had, if you were just going to fish by yourself, you're not guiding or anything like that, and you had to pick two days of the year and two setups on the Colorado, what would it be? Like, I would fish this day during this time of year with this kind of fly setup. I would probably pick sometime in April, um, and I'd do a streamer. That's streamer a big fishing. Fish in the deep hole because I've caught like a 28 inch rainbow trout on the Colorado river on a streamer. Yeah. The first kind of streamer fully committed. It was a bars meat whistle. Meat whistle. I've heard of. Okay. White. White. White Yeah. Okay. And then probably you have a, Sorry, do you have a – is that with a seven-weight, eight-weight, or what? I did a five-weight, but now I have a six-weight for throwing streamers, and I prefer that. It has a fighting butt on it, so I can – Okay. I'm able to pull right. in those bigger fish. <laughs> yeah, I have a five-weight rod, and I don't have a lot. I have – I just like that rod, and I – so you can still throw streamers and stuff with a five-weight. It's just not exactly perfect, but it works. Yeah. Okay. Right. Sorry, it's a good all around rod. You can use it for right. pretty much anything. Small fish, big fish. Yeah. All right. What about number two? Number two would probably be fishing the Colorado River up in Rocky Mountain National Park and fishing a chubby dry <laughs> in the summer, probably like July to a pheasant tail. Okay. Cool. A bunch of brookies. Um, for brookies? Yeah. On a five weight. Or three weight. Three, four, five weight. <laughs> three yeah. weight's more fun. Okay. You get more right. of a fight. That's the best argument for a smaller rod for small streams in my brain. Like, I, I understand that I just, I have never, I don't know, I, 
I always can manage to get around a lot of foliage and a lot of boulders and small streams with a five way, like the, the length of the rod doesn't, it just doesn't bother me that much, but I can see where if you're catching little fish, it'd be a little more fun to have some bend in the rod with a smaller size. I mean, I get, I do, to me, that's the best argument. Yeah. There are others. Uh, and I'm no expert, but that's my, that's my opinion, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's my opinion too. I mean, I've only been fishing for like four and a half years now. So my fishing. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know everything. Um, I'm definitely not an expert, but are you tying? I, d- I can tie. I don't really yeah. tie that much. I could, yeah. but as a guide, you get a discount on right. flies. So, and you go for so many. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine uh, that would be frustrating if you're tying all those flies that that you're losing. Um, and actually, I do lose a lot of flies in general, so I can only imagine professionally doing that. Uh, is there a couple of flies that you would recommend that a beginner would tie for like a beginner fly tire? Like I know that it depends time of year and hatches or whatever, but is there like a nymph or a dry fly that works kind of like, I don't know, hair's ear is a good fly on the Colorado guys could guys and gals could practice that or a caddis works many times a year, you know, something that like I'm planning a trip to the Colorado river and I'm a beginner fly tire. I'm going to tie these couple flies and, I'll probably still go to the guide shop and get a couple like special, you know, like more for what's happening now, but these maybe work year round ish. Uh, I do a San Juan worm cause that's nice. really easy tie. Always yeah. catch fish on a San Juan worm. Um, probably a pheasant tail. It's a good all around fly. Okay. And an RS too. Yeah, those are pretty easy to tie as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that as a beginner tire, I've kind of learned is I try and just find the easiest ones that will catch fish and stick to that. And then over time, maybe I'll progress to some of the more expert uh, level. The The Chubby Chernobyl is actually not as hard to tie as I initially thought it would be. Um, it's really, I thought that would look super hard and big or whatever, but it didn't seem that bad. Okay, cool. Um, anything else that you want to say about the Colorado River, or is that special to you in some meaningful way, other than it's your home river and you moved up there to be on the river and change your? I mean, I guess what makes it special for you? Um, I it's just my favorite river because it's a freestone river. A lot of the fish are really wild, so if you catch a big fish in that river. It's not a big stocked dumb fish. Like right. definitely worked. And that fish has lived years and fought so hard to live in that river. So I don't know, it just feels really good when you get a big fish out of the Colorado River. And yeah. It's just so big and there's a lot of public access. Yeah. I like public water. Yeah. I wish we had more. I think it would right. make fishing a lot easier. And I think the ego would go down a little bit if we had more public access. Right. Yeah. You're probably right. Um, 
is there a time so i you you uh you had a post one time i was going to ask you to tell a story if you could about uh just last month you were out there fishing on the colorado and you had one of these days where you weren't catching fish and again even as a guide having trouble and then perseverance kind of helped and you had some maybe some tactics that would be useful to people as well that you used can you talk a little bit about that day and and what happened because you hooked up with a pretty nice trout at the end of the at the end of the story spoiler alert that was actually (laughs) on the blue river in silverthorn um oh okay that's not too far from us either that's a tailwater it's a lot of stocked fish but they get fished a lot so they're kind of picky and they sit in some interesting areas where they try to avoid fishermen and i had a fish a really big fish sitting like right below a tree in a deep pocket below some rocks and I kept throwing my flies at him. I could tell my flies weren't getting deep enough because he wasn't dodging them. He wasn't moving at all. So so you could see the fish mm-hmm. and you just, okay. And you knew your, your flies weren't getting deep. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I love to sight fish. Yeah. If I can see that fish, I know I will catch him. Right on. And that's how I learn a lot, too, because if I can see it, I know what I need to do with my flies or with my weight to get it deeper to them or shallow it up a little bit. And with this particular fish, um, he was sitting right below a drop-off, so there were some sh- rocks that were a lot shallower right above him. Then it dropped off into a big hole and he was sitting right below a rock. Like a steep drop off. So it's shallow and then real deep hole. Yep. But they were- I love this story because I see this all the time and I, I, I'm probably not approaching it the right way. So I'm excited. Yeah. And he, these fish are so smart. They will sit behind structure that they know that your flies are probably going to get stuck on that structure before it's going to get in front of their face. And that's right, what, it's hard to reach them. Yeah. yeah, and that's what he was doing. He was sitting, it was shallow, and then there was a big rock in front of him. And then he was sitting lower in the hole. So I just had to keep changing up my weight and my flies to get it around that rock so I wasn't getting stuck on the rock every time, but I was also dropping into that hole immediately. So usually I put a weight, like a foot, ahead of my first fly so that it drops all of my flies into the water. But for this particular situation, it wasn't working. So I moved my weight closer to that first fly so that it would drop immediately. After, like how close? Um, probably like three inches. I got it okay. really close to that fly because I just wanted okay. – I didn't really care if the fish saw my weight. I just wanted my flies to get in that hole. I just wanted him to at least move for my flies. I didn't know if I was going to catch him or not. So I just added more weight, and I eventually got the perfect drift where it dodged that rock and dropped into the hole. He saw it, and that first cast that I was able to get those flies in that hole with a bunch of weight 
he grabbed one of my flies and he took me on such a journey. He took me <laughs> downstream over this like waterfall. I climbed down into the waterfall, had my friend yeah. blocking down below so he wouldn't keep running. And then he ran back upstream. It was like a 20 minute bite. It was so yeah. much fun. And for beginner fishermen, my friend wanted to catch one like that, but I just don't think that you know how to fight a fish like that until you've done it multiple times and you've lost a lot of fish like that because they will take you. They know where the structures are. They know where the sticks are in the river to kind of go around and try and get you stuck on it. And you need to be able to move your fly rod around those obstacles keep the thing that yeah i've got some more questions for you about getting flies down but since you just said that the thing that i'm going to ask you a selfish question the thing that is i have trouble with is when i catch a big fish and it goes on a, a you know there's only so much i can do with drag or whatever like if he wants to go if it's that big of a fish i can't stop it so i mean sometimes they'll go so far downstream that I feel like I'm there's no possible way that I can keep this fish. If I let him go over that waterfall, or if I let him go do this thing. And I feel like what you're saying is I, people can't see you shaking your head, but, (laughs) but like, uh, that's not the case, right? So what do I do when they make that huge run past the biggest thing is when they go like, they go through fast water. Like to me, that scares me. Like they're gonna, I'm in a nice place and I always try and think ahead of time. Like I always try and remind myself, what if I catch a monster fish on this cast? What am I going to do? Like if I'm, you might be in a place where like, I can't get off this boulder. There's no way I'm going to be able to get down and land this fish. But if they do that big run through fast water over a waterfall or something like that, what do you, what do you, what's your advice to me on that? If you know you're going for a big fish and you're near faster water or somewhere where you're not in a big pool where you can easily fight that fish, if he runs, you better move your butt with that fish. You better start running your butt with him. You want to keep yourself parallel with that fish. If you can't, then you want to get as close as you possibly can. My last okay. fight with a- fish in Silverthorn, he took me, he was probably 100 yards downstream of me, still running. And I was trying, I'm pregnant, so I need to be careful on these rocks. But I was still trying. I forgot about that. <laughs> I, I totally forgot that this was like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So now I, this, this story is just in my brain even funnier because my wife is pregnant too. So now I'm imagining someone in my wife's shape doing this and yeah, know, I was like not shape, but like my wife's trying to be state, so my wife. Yeah. 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 It was, it's interesting. And I had a fish even go underneath a log and I was like, Oh no, yeah. I'm losing him. Like he's gone. He's going to snap me off on this log. I ran to that log as fast as possible and I put my entire rod underneath the log and he was still on and I finally got him. 
You just got to like run good. with that fish until you can get him to slow enough water and he's tired enough that you can pull him to the bank. So the two things I took away from that is get going, get moving, which I wrote a blog post about that. Get a move on when a big fish goes downstream. So thank you for making me feel good about myself because <laughs> you're making me feel like you're bringing me some credibility to my, my blog post. But, um, but then the other thing is you got to let them, you got to let them go. You can't just, I mean, if you just don't let them make that run unlucky, you know, it's, that's just an impossibility unless you have like, you know, zero X on or something like that, I guess. Unless you're streamer fishing with 12 pound line, you better let that fish yeah. run. We have So just let it go and then get going downstream. Yep. I have clients okay. all the time that, they just grab the line and put so much pressure on and the rod doubles over and you're like, no, you're going to snap that fish off. You better yeah. let him run and you better go with him if you want to catch right. that massive fish because you don't know how hard they're going to bite. And the other day yeah. I had, actually yesterday, I had like a 20-inch brown trout on on 12-pound line and... I thought he was going to fight, so I started moving with him, but he rolled himself to where the line got all the way around his head and, like, blinded him. So he didn't really give me a fight, but I was still prepared. Like, this fish right. might run downstream, and I was in a fast area, so I was ready to go if he wanted to go. Pregnant Betha, just ready. Yep. Again, hero. <laughs> Ready, <laughs> but also careful <laughs> i got it yeah no no judgment so okay that's very helpful let's go back to the part of the story where you're getting the fly down if we can mm -hmm. so what are your techniques what other techniques do you use to get i mean that right there is just being creative especially if you've never done that before so i think that's awesome another great thing about fly fishing problem solving creativity but what about in general what are some other things that people can do to get the fly down and generality? And then like specifically for that situation, moving the, the move in the split shot is in, I've never really thought about that. So that's cool. But there seems like there's a lot of times where the water is coming off a riffle or something like that. It's, it's more shallow water. And then it's this steep drop off and I either know they're in there or I can see them down there. Is the answer just more weight, like just get more weight on there? Yep, more weight and don't throw. If you know it's really shallow right before that drop-off, don't give your weight too much time to get stuck up on that drop-off. Throw it like okay. right above the hole. so that it, With tons of weight. Yeah, with tons of weight. Oh. And if it just gets snagged a little bit, try to just tug it off the bottom rather than recasting. Try to just get yeah. it unlodged. So that it just drops right back into that hole. Right. And um, for beginners, okay. what I tell them is like, if you see fish or you know, there are fish there, if you're not snagging the bottom, you're not in the right place. And it's worth okay. it in the beginning. If you're a beginner, you're going to lose flies anyways. So just put on enough weight that you're snagging bottom. If you lose flies, whatever. But at least you know you're in the right area. Right. And then you can always kind of take off weight. Do you, 
um you have any do you use split shot that you can take off or do you i've heard there's like malleable kind of weight that i've seen guys and gals use that as well like weight yeah I've it's like seen a, that the clay stuff that people use yeah yeah i just use split shots that you can pinch onto your line and then i use my uh forceps to pinch it in the opposite direction and then use my nail to get it off if i i try to make it so that i can get that weight off of there if i need to right but i put a lot on to begin with okay yeah and you're not talking about split shot with like the huge wings on the back. You're, there's split shot they make with just a tiny little thing that it's meant to be able to be grabbed. Is that right? Or, or no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't just really matter. Out. I mean, they have the ones with the wings that are easier that you can just grab with your fingernails or forceps and it pinches it off really quick. Or I just have little balls that are split in half and you just pinch them around your line. And then if you need to get them off, you just pinch it in the opposite direction, opening up that hole again. And then just a little off. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about strike indicator? When you put in those big weighted flies or weighted weight on there, sometimes the, I use a lot of times I use a little foam, uh, strike indicator. And I think for big holes like that, that's not, it doesn't keep, it's just going to pull that strike indicator down, which makes it harder for me. Is it, is that, true or yeah if you're in big deep holes and you need a lot of weight and bigger flies buy there's variety of different sizes that you can buy i usually have the large medium and small indicators in my bag just depending on the setting and i like to use cork versus foam okay just because the cork indicators usually they'll make the top of it a bright color but then the bottom looks like wood. So right. it doesn't spook the fish as much. Well, that's a good, yeah, I never thought about that. Um, but you're not necessarily using the, the bubble strike indicators. You're still using something other than that. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Or I mean, you can use the bubbles. Um, just make sure it's big enough to where it's, it's, it's going to work as a strike indicator, whatever it is that you like. Yep. You know, and you yeah, can I'd probably big need... ones for kind of anything too. It's just if you don't have that much weight on and you have a big indicator on, it might not that fish might not pull it all the way under. If you see that indicator even slightly move or look right. like it's going upstream or side to side or just a little tick set. You want to set right. on anything, even if you think it's bottom, just set. You never know. Hook sets are free. Yeah. I have a blog post about that too. Hook sets are free. Yeah. Because um, you uh, might think it's a log and then two minutes later it starts running downstream as you're trying to get it unsnagged. You're like, wow, that's yeah. a big fish. Okay. Oh, yeah. That happened to me one time where I, I sat on just something real light, like, I don't know. And then I thought it was bottom, you know, we had the drift boat kind of anchored up and I'm, I'm telling my dad, like, and my brother, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, snagged up and I'm just, you know, how you're trying to change directions and yank on the <laughs> yank on the fly to try and break it free. Like I'm doing that and like, I can't get this off. And then I'm just standing there thinking about, okay, 
do I break this fly off or should I keep trying, you know? And then the line starts moving like, Oh no. Uh, I never landed that fish by the way. That was, we were in the drift boat and I didn't know enough about if I had been on land, I would have probably moved downstream with it, but now I'm in a drift boat. We're anchored up. So then we pulled anchor then went downstream, but then there was like fast water. So then we dropped anchor again. And then when we dropped anchor the second time is when it started going way down, like you were saying, and I had no option to follow it because we were anchored up. So in hindsight, I would have just kept going. Uh, but um, do you always put the the split shot? Okay, so I don't know if this is the exact same question, but do you sometimes I normally put the bigger fly as the lead fly and then my dropper is the smaller. Yep. Is there any t- times I've fished with guys and gals in Col- well, really just guys in Colorado that they do the, um, they switch that up sometimes. Is there a time and place for that? Yeah. Um, I mean the other day I was kind of feeling lazy and I usually try to keep my split shot above a knot so that if it, slides it's not going right next to my flies so that's why i'll usually do like an extra piece of line in between that first fly and my indicator so that i can put a weight right above that knot to keep it away from my fly yeah i started doing that too yeah it just makes it so much easier because your indicators slide sometimes and your weight slides so anything you can do to prevent that you don't have to mess with your stuff as much. But right. the other day I was just fishing in another just difficult place. It was shallow water and then it dropped into a big hole and then it got shallow right after the fish. But you could see there were like 10 fish sitting in this tiny little hole. Right. So I just put on two weighted flies and then I put on a huge split shot right in between the flies. There was no knot in between. I just clamped it on there as hard as I could and had my client throwing it in there. And he got snagged up on the bottom a little bit, but I also taught him don't pull it out if it gets snagged on bottom. Try to just tick it off the bottom and then let it sink back into that hole and kind of realize, like, your weight and your flies are about three to four feet from your indicator. So if your indicator is three to four feet down stream, your flies are probably in that hole. You kind of got to, got to think about like where your flies are sitting compared to your indicator. You're saying the indicator is three to four feet downstream of where the fly is laterally in the river. Yeah. After you throw it. Yeah, because they're not traveling. Depending depending on your setup and the weight, yeah, just it depends. But and for that setup, I get what you're saying. Um, so it's not you're not fishing, you're not showing those flies to fish right underneath that indicator because of the weight that you put on it. It's further down. Yeah. Yep. And then um, you mentioned if you do get snagged on the bottom, just kind of either hook set right because it might be a fish, or if you know you're snagged up then just kind of try and take it off. Yeah. If I always tell people to hook set the first couple times, but if you're getting snagged in the same exact spot, every time you throw it there, you know, it's you know bottom. It. So 
So try to right. just tick it off the bottom and let it keep going. Especially if you're watching fish and you know exactly what the hole looks like because the water's clear right. enough. But if yeah. the water's murky, you have no idea what's underneath right. there. So just set on anything and everything. <laughs> Love it. And get the weight on there to get it down. All right. That's fair enough. Before I ask you my last question, where can people find out more about you or some of the, any, um, if they want to, I don't know, find out more about Betha or maybe go fishing with you or something like that. Instagram is pretty much the only place that I like talk about fishing and (laughs) connect with people. But I've definitely connected with a lot of people and made a lot of friends off of Instagram, and I'm open to talking to anybody. Um, And then Kirk's Fly Shop, I have people ask me all the time where they can uh, get a guided trip with me, and it's just Kirk's Fly Shop in Grand Lake. So Kirk's has three shops. He has two in Estes Park and one in Grand Lake, and I'm in the Grand Lake shop on the west okay. side of the divide. And that's kirksflyshop.com? Yes, I believe so. And your Instagram is? Betha Went Fishing. Betha Went Fishing. Okay, cool. Anything else that you want to talk about? Any projects coming up or any anything like that that you want to bring up? No, I I don't think so. I've okay, been wanting to start a blog or something for so long, but I don't know. I'm not I'm not amazing at that. I think it's just a confidence thing. I need to just do it and let it suck for a little bit and then get better. Do you like to write? I like to write, but I've always been told that I'm not good at writing. So that kills the confidence. Well, we just talked for, we've been talking for one plus 21 about perseverance and confidence and self-esteem. So I think that, I think you would be great at it. And I think that your journey and your message and all that would be awesome. Resonate with so many people. Uh, So I hope that you persevere into that world. I'll put it that way. (laughs) I think it'd be great. And if you need, you know, help or what, if you want questions or whatever, I have a blog and it it wasn't super, super hard to set it up. Um, you know, so be happy to help with that. Anything else? No, that's it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So I am, like I said earlier, before we were talking, I was super excited to talk to you because I, I believe in a lot of the things that you talk about. Um, with perseverance, do you think, uh, do you think that that influenced your life in fly fishing more? Or do you think fly fishing brought you that into your life? Was it something that you had that you brought into fly fishing and then gained more success? Or I guess it's a chicken or the egg type thing. And maybe it depends for different people, but for you, what do you think it was? I think fly fishing brought that into my life. It's honestly turned me from a very negative person into more of a positive person I like to think about life in more positive outlook now because of fly yeah. fishing and 
just seeing other people's journeys with fly fishing helps me feel a little more confident about my journey too. And I don't know. Yeah. I think it's really helpful for a lot of people changing their outlook I, on life. I agree. And I think what's special about your journey and what you just said is that you recognized it, you recognize it's happening, you know? And so I think some people, if they just took a moment to see that and recognize it and that they they can take that journey into their personal life, that that would be helpful for them as well. Maybe they don't know that it's happening. You know what I mean? So I think it's cool that you recognize it, you talk about it and you share it. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. You can learn more about some of the topics we discussed in today's episode show notes. For more fly fishing ideas, stories, and artwork, check out my blog and online gallery at wadeoutthere.com. If you want to make Wade Out There a part of your own fly fishing journey, please subscribe and share. Until next time, Wade Out There.